Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, Psalm chapter 1, Philemon verses 1 through 21, and Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Everyone was looking at me. I was in junior high. My teacher had just asked me a question, and it was obvious I wasn't paying attention. I didn't even know what she had asked me. My mind raced, trying to decide if I should ask her to repeat the question or come up with something else, maybe even fake an answer. For a self-conscious junior hire, this is a very uncomfortable situation. I imagine we've pretty much all been there at some point. We don't like being put on the spot. That might be how Philemon felt when Paul's letter was read to the entire congregation. He hadn't done anything wrong, but a lot was being asked of him. In some ways, our society today is not all that different from Philemon's. Our Christian beliefs and morals at times put us at odds with the larger society in which we live. How should we live in a society with moral customs, with immoral customs and laws? Paul's short letter to Philemon and his church points the way by reminding us that Christ's love frees us. Just picture the scene. Philemon is attending a service at his house church in Colossae. His slave Onesimus has been gone for some time and will probably never be seen again. This has undoubtedly caused Philemon some hardship and some understandable frustration and possibly anger. Archippus hosts a small congregation in his house. It turns out that today is a special day. A letter has arrived from Paul. Tychicus is the one delivering the letter. But the big surprise is who is with him. Onesimus, what is he doing here? What, what does Philemon do? Does he have his slave thrown in jail? Then the letter is read in the service, and it's addressed directly to Philemon. How does he react? The societal expectations on Philemon in this situation would be to get retribution from Onesimus, as was his legal right. A slave who leaves his master is essentially stealing from him. Because the law is on his side, Philemon would be expected to take legal action of some kind. In fact, it was his duty to do so. The Roman economy was built on slave labor, much like the southern states prior to the U.S. Civil War. Slavery as an institution was unquestioned at this time. It would not be assumed that followers of the way would act any differently in this case. The Torah addressed slavery in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, laying out limitations for slavery, but never banishing it outright. Paul does not say in his letter that slaves should be freed, nor does he in any other letter. If he had, it would have been a direct attack on Roman society, which could, could even have led to bloodshed and revolution. So Paul had to choose his words carefully, and instead choose to focus on just one slave, whose name ironically meant useful. But we're more interested in Philemon today. He was being pulled in one direction by Roman law and custom, 
and in another direction by Paul's instruction, even without a direct ban against all slavery. We'll look more closely at Paul's words in a minute, but for Philemon, as the pressure mounted, all eyes were on him. Our predicament today isn't all that different. The biblical text that first century Christians had wasn't much help regarding slavery. How about us? Does it ever seem to you that the Bible is simply out of touch? There's an apparent mismatch between some things that we assume are good and what the Bible says. And then there are situations where our laws or customs are morally lacking, but we have trouble finding a suitable response in the Bible. It's no wonder many people are actually turned off by the Bible today. We have seemingly bizarre Old Testament laws, like we find in Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29, where an unmarried woman who is raped becomes the wife of the rapist. That's hard to come to terms with. You may have noticed that our Old Testament reading today, also from Deuteronomy, reminds the Israelites of the land that God has promised them. But oh, by the way, they have to slaughter the inhabitants first. This apparent genocide seems incompatible with our loving Jesus. And because Paul didn't unequivocally say slavery is a sin and all slaves should be set free immediately, the Bible appears to condone slavery. These passages of Scripture, and there are many more like them, are not the ones we're likely to hear preached by evangelists. These aren't selling points for Christianity. But as Christ's followers, we can't merely brush them aside either. And if we say these passages are wrong or uninspired, then we are placing ourselves in a position of judge over Scripture. At that point, anything goes. We want our lives to be faithful to Scripture, but it's hard to defend the suitability of Scripture for modern life when passages like the few I just mentioned seem abhorrent by today's moral standards. I mentioned earlier that some of our laws or customs are morally lacking, and we need wisdom to know how to live faithfully in such an environment. Teenage drinking and sex are widely accepted in our society. Marijuana is legal in several states. Many U.S. companies still make their products in other countries where hor horrific working conditions or even slave labor are commonplace. Pro-LGBTQ propaganda silences all dissenters in major corporations and universities. Thanks to the internet, pornography is everywhere. I could go on and on, but I think it's obvious that in some areas, our society has very low moral standards. I do think we have a close cousin to slavery that is ubiquitous today. We still turn people into objects that can be taken, owned, and manipulated for our pleasure. I'm talking about objectifying people. Capitalism unchecked turns us into objects as either consumers or producers, and each of us has a dollar sign above our heads representing our value to the economy. Maybe you have felt at times like a replaceable commodity at your job. If, you aren't if we aren't careful, viewing people as objects can seep into how we think of others as well. We also do this through the rampant sin of lust. 
which is also promoted by advertisers. When a person lusts after, after another, it's, whether it's someone they see in person or on a screen or in some other form of media, the one pictured becomes an object that is now the mental property of the one lusting. The memory of how that other looked can be recalled at any time. In pornography, the one in the image or video is always there to tell the lie that only your pleasure matters and real life relationships don't. Just like with Roman slavery, we live in a society of people being turned into objects for the benefit of others. How do we live as faithful Christians in such an environment? Like Philemon, all eyes are on us. Let's return again to the text to see how it is Christ's love that frees Onesimus, but also Philemon and even Paul, because their self-worth and mission come from God. Paul writes Philemon that he may have Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Why does Paul care what happens to Onesimus? For one thing, the temporal relationship of master to slave has been surpassed by the eternal relationship of brothers in Christ. The relationship between Onesimus and both Philemon and Paul is now primarily that of fellow worker in Christ. For Philemon to treat Onesimus as a slave would be similar to Stephen calling Josiah his roommate. Yes, they both sleep in the same room, but that degree of relationship has been completely surpassed by the fact that they are brothers. Philemon's relationship to Onesimus must now be defined by their equal role as Christ followers. When all three men are equal before God, how can one possibly belong to another as property? If we are all bearers of God's image, as Genesis 1.26 says, we all have innate value as beings loved by God and deemed very good by Him. We are all unique in creation. So treating a fellow image bearer as property is a denial of the value God places on each of us. Paul drives home this point to their equality under God by writing that Philemon should receive Onesimus with the same honor and care as he would Paul himself. And in verse 10, he calls Onesimus his child. In other words, don't even consider treating Onesimus as a slave again. And this would all be true even if Onesimus were not a fellow believer. So without directly saying it, Paul has upended the institution of slavery. You might be thinking, but Pastor John, what about the Old Testament laws allowing slavery? If it's so bad, why wasn't slavery banned from the beginning? That's a very good question. The answer is fairly straightforward. It was an allowance due to sin. I'm not saying two wrongs make a right, but similar to Moses allowing divorce, which is never ideal, it is less bad than a woman staying with a man who is so abusive her life is at risk. Allowing slavery was less bad than captured enemy soldiers being executed 
or families starving because they were too poor to feed themselves. It seems ironic that allowing slavery was a less evil option for the ancient world, but that was the case. And since slaves were not to be maimed or killed, Israel's form of slavery provided a degree of protection, and in many cases was temporary. So Christ's love freed Onesimus, and by extension all slaves, from the institution of slavery, but it also freed Philemon and Paul. Philemon would, would never have had the chance to do the right thing were not Onesimus returned to him. By returning Onesimus, Paul not only fulfilled his legal obligation of returning property, but he also gave Philemon the opportunity to do right of his own free will. Paul could have refused to return Onesimus on the grounds that slavery was wrong, but doing so would have denied Philemon and his entire congregation an opportunity to learn and obey. As I said earlier, Philemon would have been expected to take some kind of action against his wayward slave, if for no other reason than to set an example for other slaves that escape was not in their best interest. But Christ's love freed Philemon from that worry because he had a higher loyalty to Christ than to Caesar. Philemon's reward was eternal. In fact, in the Ecclesia, he had his own growing culture of obedience to Scripture and fearing God over fearing Roman authorities. I'll take it one step further and add that Philemon was likely not the only slave owner in his congregation. They, too, would have felt the pressure of Paul's words to treat slaves as fellow brothers in Christ. Imagine how the anti-slavery movement would have started to grow once word got out what had happened to Philemon. I bet a lot of slaves accepted Christ after that. Christ's love freed Paul as well, a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. It's ironic that in a physical sense, Paul was the least free of the three. But Christ's love freed him as well because it was not his physical condition that had ultimate importance. Paul was able to lead the growing Christian church even from prison. His letters made more difference than almost all men who were free to do whatever they wanted in the Roman Empire at that time. That's why we don't see Paul wallowing in his misery. Despite the legal authority that was at best neutral to Christianity, Paul was able to carry right on with the work God gave him. That made him free. We are free as well. Christ's love frees us to live up to his standards, yet offers mercy when we fail to do so. We are freed from the sin of objectifying others, either economically or sexually. We are freed from the sickly behavioral norms of our society and laws that either fail to uphold morality or are outright immoral themselves. I mentioned a minute ago that part of Paul's freedom came from his God-given mission. It's no different for us today. Our freedom in Christ grants us the wisdom to be truth-sayers and objective observers of our society. We can do this because we have the truth of Scripture to compare with the world around us. For example, I stated the dangers of unchecked capitalism earlier. 
To be a fair and effective economic system, capitalism needs faithful Christians to prevent its darker extremes. Christ's word reveals a yawning chasm between the world as it is and as it should be. Without scripture, we would be as blind as everyone else. But our mission to be prophetic truth-sayers to the world around us would be incomplete if we didn't apply biblical truth to our own lives. That might seem like a tall order, but remember Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not only does Christ's love free us for obedience and good works, it paves the way. A godly life would be impossible were it not for the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Christ's love frees us from the mire of our world so that we can join him in his kingdom-building project here on earth. But many of us live like prisoners in a cell where the door isn't locked. Our freedom is real, but we lack the kingdom vision and that prevents us from living into that freedom. As we prepare to receive communion, let us be reminded that Jesus said he came to proclaim release to the captives. This statement is true both in a physical and spiritual sense, which means it applies to all of us, even if we don't usually consider ourselves captives. We were prisoners to the world's ideology, but now we are free. So were Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. There are no slaves in eternity. And they were free to receive communion together as brothers in Christ. So let us do the same with all eyes on him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.